Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve. Fuel your body with the best. Use our discount code ELKSHAPE30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors. Geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver, and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out numaoutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery elevating the archery experience take a test drive with the matthews v331 or 27 at a local dealer near you vortex optics i've been partnered with vortex since 2010 this company is awesome they're american owned veteran owned they're based in wisconsin their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics accessories and apparel most of the apparel that i wear while training scouting and hanging out around the house is Vortex Wear. Go ahead and check it out, and if you want to save 20%, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE at checkout, and you'll save 20%. New from Vortex in 2021 is their tripods. The one I've been using in the backcountry is their Summit Carbon Tube, and their Radian Carbon, and it also has a ball leveling head, and it's perfect for rock solid shooting. There is a tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime no-fault transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at VortexOptics.com. 
Hey, welcome to the Oakshade Podcast. Me, Dan the Fitness Man. What's going on, y'all? Podcast today with Jeremy Lopez. This guy is out of Wisconsin. He's a firefighter. He's been on the podcast one other time. He's also been to Oakshade Camp in 2020. He's also been to Ryan Lampers' summit. Uh, he's elk hunted a handful of years. Uh, he's a super diehard, like your typical Wisconsin Midwest hard charging come out west elk hunt guy here's what we're going to do with jeremy we're going to break down kind of his processes as far as getting ready for september what he's learned from experience not only in the field but just elk hunting then coming to the camp and taking notes and then going and executing what we taught him at camp and then going to the summit learning what he's learned and then going back to the mountains and executing it's really valuable resource there's a lot of you out there that either are brand new to elk hunting or at least uh, have some reps but are looking to tighten up the gap which is a it's a steep learning curve that's why we do this podcast and jeremy is all blue collar i mean he's a first responder uh he also just got engaged after this podcast so congratulations jeremy and he's the overall hard worker which is my kind of people so this podcast is kind of chocked full of just really good hard-nosed elk tactics and preparation tips and if you want to be an elk hunter or you are an elk hunter congratulations you signed up for hard work elk hunting will never be easy it's always going to be hard work that's what we're selling that's what you're buying that's what you need to execute so without further ado this is jeremy lopez you're listening to the elk shape podcast here we go can hear you loud and clear how about me oh yeah yeah you sound almost canadian (laughs) are you no, I'm not. I'm just playing. I get that a lot, though. I'm totally playing. So, Jeremy Lopez, you had this idea to to get back on the podcast, and you were like, I got some good ideas for you, Dan. What do you think? So, what were your ideas? Yeah. Um, some of the stuff I highlighted that maybe people would key in on are, you know, going all in on Western hunting, kind of a review on uh, – 2020 elk shape camp in wisconsin the 20 my 2020 season how it went some of the off-season tinkering i've done and dived into um just working more at work showing that hard work pays off um some fitness of course and preparation for upcoming seasons i knew it i knew it yep yeah you emailed me that exact and i was like sold and by the way rarely do people that say hey we should i should come on your podcast do i actually say hey okay that's a great idea but i've had you on before you and i communicate quite a bit via instagram direct messaging and i always tell you man and i mean this if you lived closer which i hope you do someday uh, we'd be best buds because you're just a hard worker, man. And I love hard workers. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe we get back into the CrossFit games as a team, you know? No, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so out, man. How's, how's the body holding up? Um, just with all your training and stuff. Oh, uh, it's good. I kind of tinkered back on, on some training. I know we talked last summer about scaling down and whatnot. And I actually listened, my e- left the ego at the door and just kind of going lower weight on certain stuff and, and keeping the body healthy, stretching and whatnot, and kind of going long endurance stuff. I, after all these years of training, you know, you figure out what works for you and specifically what you're weak at. 
and just kind of hit those items and then work less on the stuff you're good at. That's like the magic formula. Right, exactly. So what are your glaring weaknesses that you tackle head on? Um, I'm pretty brutal at the assault bike. Like I'm good for about 10 to 12 cals on a full sprint. And then after that, I'm toast. Same so thing. I've, re- yeah, I've really been kind of hitting the assault bike working in like, you know, either squatting, benching, deadlifts, whatever I'm lifting that day. And then hitting, you know, 10 to 15 cal sprint just to get my lungs back and stuff. Oh, um, I love a- it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a decent runner. Um, I've never done more than, you know, like 13 miles, but I think if you told me, Hey, let's go for a 13 mile run today, I could do it and not struggle. I might be sore the next day, but I, and I actually enjoy running, going out and just, you know, putting on miles. If my body kind of hurts and I don't feel like lifting, I might go run or or running works really well for me at work. If I'm on shift, I can run. And that way, if we get interrupted with a call, I can come back and just pick up running versus if you're in the middle of a circuit, it's a lot harder to kind of get back into it when you're kind of all in and then you get interrupted. But, you know, that's obviously that's a part of the job. So I like running, but I don't hammer it as much as I do with kind of circuit stuff, short burst. So, yeah, that's kind of what I've been just tackling is short burst, sprinting, stuff like that. Dude, how long have you been a full-time firefighter? Uh, just over five years now. Do you get a lot of calls like to where you get interrupted working out? Because I only had that happen one time in two years of firefighting. Oh, all the time, man. You can almost guarantee. And it's not like that citywide. Um, I work downtown in the busiest station in the city. Um, So I try and go right away in the morning. I get to work, make, you know, check out the truck, make sure everything's working properly. And then I'll head upstairs and change right away and go down into the gym. And it's, you know, Typically, I can get a, a workout done fairly um, decently and not get interrupted in the mornings. But anytime, like after eight, nine o'clock, like you're, you're pretty much guaranteed you're going to get interrupted. And that's the way it goes. You know, obviously, it's a it's a blessing that we're allowed to work out at work. So having that luxury isn't always, you know, a bad thing of getting interrupted, but you just kind of got to plan your your week out of training. Okay. I'm at work. You know, this workout will work good if I get interrupted versus, you know, maybe a 20 minute, um, as many rounds as possible workout where, you know, you're, you're 12 minutes in and then you get a call and you got to go. So that makes a lot of sense. So would you classify your training that you do currently as a mix of functional fitness or like a hybrid of cross training or even you can use the word CrossFit? Like, what do you think, what would you classify your workout bouts as? Honestly, I would say cross training or functional. I think functional fitness would be the proper term. I, I, I I really don't follow one program. I kind of hop back and forth between like three and I'll, I'll just write down on the board what I want to do today, what looks good, what works well, how my body's feeling, stuff like that. But I, I don't really Olympic lift anymore. I still, I still do power cleans, full cleans, power snatches, stuff like that. But it's very minor weight. I'm not, I'm not lifting that much anymore. Um, where I do push weight is kind of that, you know, your bench, your deadlift, your squats, front squats, stuff like that. Um, just kind of working on big full movements um and not really i just kind of lost the touch for snatching and going heavy that way so i would say it's more of a a cross training slash functional fitness Mm. i don't do arm day 
back day, chest day. I do full body days. Let's get the body moving, get a sweat in. Um, very rarely do I go into the gym anymore and just lift, you know, if I'm going to lift, I'm going to do, you know, maybe I focus on back squatting and I'll do some waves of back squats, but I'm going to end with either a long endurance workout or a quick short sprint of some sort. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so you have any partners that work out with you at the station? That's something I struggled with when I, I couldn't get anyone to work out with me when I was a firefighter. Yeah. So actually one of my best friends growing up, um, he got hired, I don't know, two years ago or so. And he, it just worked out where him and I both got to bid the same engine company downtown. So we actually work out together usually in the mornings, um, at work only. He lives probably 30, 35 minutes from me. Um, and I train out of my garage, but yeah, at work, we typically work out together. Some days we, we do different stuff and some days we do the same stuff, but with the COVID stuff going on, you know, we had to take precautions of, um, being in the gym at the same time as somebody else. And if you were, you had to wear a mask, whether I agreed on it or not, you know, that I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, <laughs> um, a lot of it was, you know, you had to go in alone and, and to be honest, it, it wasn't fun when me and my buddy or me and my driver would go in and we'd have to wear masks, you know, like I don't want to tiptoe around that. So we just, we just went alone for, you know, six or seven months, whatever it was, but. No, that makes sense. Uh, well, let's talk about your journey. So if folks want to go back and get the full Jeremy Lopez experience, I will post in this podcast, a link to the first time you came on here and you came on before coming to an elk shape camp. And the, the premise of that podcast was that you were a guy living in Minnesota coming to North Idaho to elk hunt, which is a ball kicker of all ball kickers. I've hunted a lot of places and we were trying to like work through what you'd done in the past and give you ideas going forward. I thought it was a cool idea. Like maybe somebody could get some nuggets out of that. And I think it worked well, but now let's fast forward. We've met in person. You've come to an elk shape camp. You're an all or none kind of guy, which is what I dig. Let's talk about what it's in, like what is involved in fully committing to coming out West. Cause you do live in, I think Northern Minnesota, right? I now we live in Wisconsin, but yeah, it's, I mean, 30 minutes away. So Minnesota, Wisconsin, same, same, which I love both places. Honestly, I think we're going to come back to Wisconsin in 2022 to do a camp. Um, I'm trying to convince vortex optics to let me use their new vortex edge training center and do a really big camp there because Wisconsin people get after it period. I see Wisconsin plates everywhere out West. And I'd say if you had to, if I had to like, it's it's a it's a, almost a tie between Pennsylvania plates and Wisconsin plates. These folks get after it. So tell us about your journey, man, and, and kind of how it's led up and and some of like shining stars, if you will, of like I did this, this paid off, or what clues can we look at that led to some of your success out west? Yeah, it's it's actually before we get into that, it's funny you say that because I actually ran into. A, a resident in Montana this year and stopped my truck and said, I've seen more Wisconsin plates and I've seen elk this whole season. And it was, uh, it was pretty funny. You say that, but anyways, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. So I guess I listened to our podcast the other day 
just a recap on how it went. And, and man, I can't believe you didn't kick me off the podcast after that, but it was a good, it was a good nugget. And, and I hope guys and, and gals got some tips on the first, you know, couple seasons of elk hunting with, without mentorship or whatever. Um, the big thing for me, I guess that I really noticed was like, you have to be all in if you want to have success. Now, obviously people get lucky and tag out on day one of their very first hunt. It happens, you know, and, and good for them. But unfortunately that does, I, I never had that experience. So after going to Idaho a couple of times, I was like, okay, I need to be all in on this or else I'm just wasting my money. Uh, essentially I'm going camping, right? Luxury camping. So last time we talked, I know, I think I had like a camp of like six guys that wanted to go and it ended up being myself and my buddy Ian, who you met that came to elk shape camp. And I don't think I'll ever hunt with more than one person. Uh, Ian's a great hunting partner. And aside from that, we just clicked well, but anyways, going, you have to be all in and you have to be able, you have to be able to adapt on the fly and you have to be able to hunt, you know, front country, back country, all that stuff. And that's just obviously in season stuff. I think, I don't know, 80% of it probably comes, your success comes in your off season, prepping, working out, eating right, getting knowledge, networking with people, whether or not, like for me, I didn't have a mentor. Um, I kind of knew a guy that lived in North Idaho that said he'd take me hunting and it was great. I'm glad he, he showed me the area and whatnot, but I mean, in, in all reality, if we're being real, it was more or less luxury camping and, and day hiking, right? Um, so then I, I kind of, I reflected on that year and, and thought, well, if I want some success, I need to do stuff that people are doing that are having success, i.e. you um, and plenty of other guys, the whole L Collective crew, all that, right? So I'm looking at guys that are filling tags every single year. I'm like, okay, what are these guys doing? How can I you know, network with people to kind of learn the way of, of Western hunting. Right. So that led me to your elk shape camp. Um, I went to Lampers's Western hunting summit last summer and I went to TAC too. And all this stuff, when you, when you involve yourself in all these different resources and you don't have to do everything, you know, find one resource and go all in, commit to that. Right. I mean, it was just nuggets left and right. And, and whether or not you just learn one thing, you know, even if you show up to a camp and you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a seasoned hunter. I've been hunting elk for 20 years and you learn one thing. That's just another thing to put in your toolbox to make you successful. Right. You can't skip over like going to like, how much does Ryan Lampers summit cost? I have no idea. Yeah. So Last year, it was just about $1,000. So it's definitely, you have to budget for, I had to budget for it, right? I saved, you know, hundred bucks a month or something like that. Cause I knew that I needed to go to something and learn how to Western hunt and whether or not I got stuff out of it, which I did, but I was like, at least I can, I can talk to people that have filled tags every year. I can network with people that are trying to learn the same thing as me. And I met some great people. And it was a fun weekend. I mean, you were there um, the, the weekend before me, but I went to the Mule Deer Summit last year and, and I couldn't get into the elk one because of my work schedule. But um, I was all in for elk, but I'm like, you know what? I don't even, I wasn't even planning on hunting Mule Deer last year, but I still went because I, I knew I'd get some nuggets out of it, you know? So a thousand bucks plus your time, 
away from work and travel. And my camps are 500 bucks. I mean, that's some serious loot. And people don't realize that you actually, there's more than just lectures and learning from some guys that have had experience, but you're networking with a whole host of trustworthy peers that are just as interested, if not committed as you. I feel like that like I know Ryan doesn't do a good job because I certainly don't either as far as leveraging that component. But at our camps, at our summits, you are literally if you're if you're can avoid being introverted, which most guys aren't, it's a great place to connect and get resources and you'll make some lifelong friends. And then going to tack, dude, you don't live close to Big Sky. That's a whole nother trip out to Montana, right? Right. Yep. And tax like a hundred bucks for a ticket ish, plus your time and travel. And I don't know if you camped or stayed in a hotel or drove, but gas. I mean, so you've vested already. Like you put your money where your mouth is. Um, did you feel like you got a return on your investment at going to tax? Did you get a return on your investment going to Elk Shape Camp, going to the summits? Like, what were your ROIs? Yeah. So starting with the summit, I was on a limb. I didn't, this year was totally different. It sold out in like three, four days last year. It, it lasted months. And I was kind of a last minute. I was talking to my girlfriend about it and, you know, should I go? Should I not? Should I stay back? And we looked at the dates and she was off work and I said, okay, let's, let's go out and make a trip out to Bozeman and, and do a little vacation out of the deal, you know? So we packed up, we brought our dog and she poked around Montana and, and, you know, went on some hikes while I was at the summit. And um, yeah, I mean, definitely you have to budget for it. And I learned uh, a ton, like just talking to, to Barney for two days was like, this guy is unreal. He, he is an animal and he's like the most positive guy I've ever met. Like yep. you, you walk out of that place and you're so motivated going into the season. And then that was in June, I think. And then la and then your camp was in July. It got pushed back. So it was kind of nice to go to the summit and then straight into elk shape camp and then straight to tack and tack was nice. Um, we went with two other couples. So we, we did like a six or seven day vacation, um, got an Airbnb, drove out. Uh, my two other buddies are bow hunters. Um, first time they're going out West this year to elk hunt and they love tack. I never shot tack either. But yeah, definitely getting getting up on the mountain shooting elevation. I mean, we're we're pretty flat here. We have a we have a 3D course here in town at a ski resort that's once a week, but only in the summertime. And tack was nice because you get those farther shots. And then, you know, I I met some other people there. I, I saw Cody Rich at his booth and shot the shit with him for a little bit. And um, like you said, you you network and you meet people and and you start talking and getting getting kind of different resources from other people and getting out and just, you know, hiking the mountain and getting that fresh air and, and getting real shots on, you know, real realistic shots on targets. And you learn, okay, my, my first or third axis was off or, you know, any, anytime I shot uphill, I was hitting low or I was hitting high or, or whatever. And then you go back to your, your hometown and you fix that. So going into season, you're ready to go. You're a hundred percent dial. Yeah. And I'm a big big proponent of any shoot on a mountain that's 3d with friends make it competitive don't do a setup that's just for tack or northwest mountain challenge or mountain festival or whatever all those ones are use your hunting rig use your hunting setup go shoot in those crazy shots that are super long that you would never take in real life unless maybe you're doing a follow-up shot like understand the thermals 
and how like shooting across a canyon can affect that, like the wind drift and the time of day and what what the wind is doing and lighting shade versus bright light and uphill, downhill and third axis, which to this day, it still baffles me that folks don't think third axis matters in the mountains. So important. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So to finish up kind of like, let's do your synopsis. Like here is the takeaway to getting more serious about coming out West. You said you got to be all in. You just gave some examples, finish that thought up so we can kind of migrate over into like the benefits that you got at elk shape camp and then how you applied it to hunting season. So here it is. Here's your soapbox. Finish this argument with this is what you got to do to get ready to go out West. Yeah. So some things that like I picked up in the off season by podcasts, YouTube, and pretty much just like living on the internet, you know, on the downtimes, researching as much as I can on how to be successful. Cause where I went for, for two years, it was definitely, it was tough hunting. Right. But I, it was, it was a waste of money for me. I mean, if I were to do that every single year, and go out and, and listen to a couple bugles and, you know, hike a mile or two. And it just wasn't worth it. You know, the time off of work and, and the money. So basically I, I kind of had a, a kind of like a midlife crisis in the, in the elk woods, like, okay, how, how am I going to do this? You know, like, how am I going to be successful? So some stuff that I would suggest to people just starting out or they want to get more successful you know, figure out how to e-scout and e-scout effectively, not, not just go on Google maps or, you know, whatever mapping system you use and dropping pins on, Oh, this looks good. Maybe I'll go here. Um, you need to have a hunt plan. You need to have a plan, whether that's not, you know, sitting down with your elk hunting partner, if you have one, or maybe you have multiple, or maybe you're solo, you need to establish a plan and you have to run with that plan and you have to be able to adapt on the fly if stuff is not working out in my opinion i think being mobile is good um obviously not to leave don't leave elk if you're in elk but it may be necessary who knows that's a whole different topic but e-scouting was huge for me because i live hours away from the west i can't go out in the summer and and you know scout for 10 days and take 10 days off of work um it's just not a thing for me. So what I did is I invested in Mark's e-scouting course, um, the Treeline Pursuit Academy. Uh, I, I sat down with Mark and it was just, it was a weird uh, convenience that I, I was Mark's first customer and I happened to, I knew he was coming out with a course and I just happened to check it like the minute it launched and I signed up right away and he emailed me and he's like, you're, you're kind of my guinea pig. So go through this and tell me, you know, what, what is working online and what's not working. So him and I kind of hit it off. And then I met him at the summit in person, really good guy, excellent dude. Um, I'd highly suggest that course for people, but when you e-scout too, and you get out in the woods is applying those things, you know, writing down in your phone. I have a, a huge list of notes that I came across when we were hunting. It was like, okay, this did not work. You know, I, I scouted this wrong or why did this happen? Or why did we find elk? on this bench or this saddle, you know? So making notes was, was big for me, but leading up to that too, is like, not everyone has mentors. Um, I know a lot of people that hunt in the West, you know, typically either get raised up doing it or, you know, uncle or dad or grandpa taught them. 
I didn't have that luxury and I didn't know, I didn't have resources to a, a successful elk hunter. I had a resource who lived out there that would take me, but it was up to me to, to find the elk and kill the elk. And that's what I sucked at. And that's kind of what I spent all of last winter and spring and summer is how can I get better? And some of those things, like I said, e-scouting, networking, fitness, you have to figure out what works for you. If you suck at rucking and elevations uh, really bad for you, you need to find some sort of elevation, whether it's 500 feet gained, 1,000 feet, 2,000 feet, whatever, whatever you have available. And I only have like 500. So I go to the ski hill in the summer and throw in a pack, you know, two, three times a week when I have time and I'll go hike for an hour or two just to get my legs, you know, the elevation under my legs and get used to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and it also comes with, you know, budgeting for all your tags, budgeting for gas, um, making sure that, you know, you have the money put away to, to kind of set yourself up for success. And I learned a lot about that with Jeff at the elk shape camp and, you know, not just throwing it on a credit card or, you know, like I'll get to it later kind of thing. So that's huge too. But I think in the grand scheme of things, you also, it all kind of works in you know it all goes together you have to know your weapon inside out you have to know the maps you have to know your unit you have to know where you're going you have to have a, a generalized plan and that's what i extremely failed at the last two three years was just not having a plan and just going because i wanted to go and we're going to interrupt this podcast for a quick little message from black rifle coffee company these guys make amazing coffee here in the u.s and they're veteran known and they're proudly american and unapologetic i appreciate that if you guys are interested in joining their coffee club or picking up maybe some swag ready to drinks or check out that new flying elk roast flavor use the discount code elkshape and that'll save you 15 percent also kafaru international this is the backpack of choice for elk hunters i use the hoodlum or the 44 mag you guys need to check out Kufaro International if you are serious about packing out large loads of perfect protein off the mountain. Head over to kufaro.net to learn more. We're also brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the number one hunting GPS app. I've pretty much gone away from using an old school GPS. Obviously, I still carry like an inReach, but all my hunting maps are stored and executed with the Onyx. This is the fastest downloading offline maps out there as well as the most resilient bulletproof not going to crash on you when you need it most i run tracking most days while elk hunting and i found onyx to be the most reliable hunting gps app out there check it out today and finally baku e-bikes these are e-bikes made for hunters by hunters this is a game changer for elk hunting as well as bear hunting checking your tree stand trail cams getting in and out quietly. I rock the mule. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to knock $300 off your purchase. And if you do that, you might as well just go ahead and apply that discount towards a folding cargo trailer so you can put your elk quarters and haul them out back to the truck. Yeah, so basically you've described what I sell at Elk Shape Camp. I'm selling you a lifestyle and the lifestyle is called hard work. I always tell people that 
at camps this year is that I was not there to sell them anything but the idea of hard work. I'm selling you elk hunting, which is deeply rooted in just grunt work, blue collar, living like a homeless person in the mountains to try to get this giant animal on the ground and then working even harder to get it back to your truck so you can get it home and eat on it the entire year. It's like primal, man. It's caveman stuff. It's the best. And when you kind of recognize that it's that special and it requires that higher level of commitment, then you start to leverage all these things you talked about. I'm going to try to break them down real quick and recap because you just nailed it. Like e-scouting is not dropping pens on your cell phone when you have OnX pulled up. That's not e-scouting. That's like, I'm not saying that's worthless, but I would not classify that as actual e-scouting, which will lead to the creation of a hunt plan that you can execute day in and day out. So Mark Livesey's course is by far the most thorough. It's almost too thorough, and I love Mark to death. I'm trying to get him to come to all my camps next year. Uh, I do have a discount code for his course, too, because there will be people listening to this going, what's that called? Treeline Academy. Uh, it's it's an elk scouting digital e-course. And use the discount code ELKSHAPE. It'll save you 20%. And just know that I still have yet to finish that course. I'm probably three-fourths of the way through, and there's just so much information to sift through. I'm not a guy that's going to go through it fast. I'm going to go through it slow and try to integrate all his tactics. But at the end of the day, you should have hunt plans for where you're going. And you should have plans A through Z. You should have too many plans. You shouldn't go through all your plans. But here's the caveat. And Jeremy, you could probably attest to this. You'll never be sitting on a side of a road trying to get cell service to download a map of a new area because you only you put all your eggs in one basket and it sucks and you got to find somewhere new and you didn't download maps and you didn't plan ahead. So for me, like last year, I went to three new units in three different states, was able to kill a bull in each unit, but without my hunt plans, I would have been back at the truck every night going, well, what should I do tomorrow? Do you feel me on that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you have to have, uh, between Ian and I, I think we hunted over 10 units in Montana last year and we had to share the data. Like we ran out of space from downloading maps and luckily, you know, traveling to different units, you pick up service and whatnot and you can kind of delete stuff and whatnot, but yeah, you have to have a plan. You have to have your maps downloaded. If you go back to the truck or your camp, wherever you're camping at and saying, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm just going to, I guess I'm going to hike to this wallow. I found at, you know, 9,000 feet and I'm going to sit there and hopefully something happens. That's, you know, that's when you waste time. And that's what I did for two years. I just wasted time, but I learned, you know, you learn and you get your feet wet and whatnot, but yeah, absolutely. You nailed it. You have to have a plan. I think people need to understand. And we, I think we do a good job at camps preaching this gospel that time is your number one commodity next to energy when you're elk hunting. And September is so short, it's so finite, it comes and goes so fast. And so when you're talking about something that you do for maybe 10 days or 14 days, or if you're like me and you've made it a way of life, I go for the entire month. It comes and goes. So it's 11 months to one month. I try to do something every single day in the name of better elk hunting. And to me, that helps it 
not be so overwhelming. And so like today, I got to break a sweat. I haven't worked out yet. That's going to be in the name of better elk hunting. I'm going to shoot my bow in my backyard right before I work out. And then I'm going to spend a little bit of time tonight, probably 15 minutes on Google Earth, going over some different areas. Um, and these are places that I have. I don't even know if I've drawn the tag yet, but I'm just kind of being preemptive. But like you, you add that up. That's just not a lot of time. Like it's maybe an hour and 15 minutes total. That includes shooting. Working out for 30, 40 minutes and e-scouting, but I won the day. That kind of stuff will compound day after day if you can do it year round. Um, I want to go back to the other thing you were talking about, which is being mobile. Uh, being mobile is something that we talk about at Elk Shape Camp, and we call it just the tip elk hunting, where we don't overcommit to one area and I think a lot of people coming out west need to understand this principle. And obviously you do if you hunted 10 different units in Montana. And being mobile is, for me, is literally my truck is the hub of my existence. I bring a dirt bike. Sometimes I bring a four-wheeler. I almost always bring an e-bike. And I have my truck and trailer. And my trailer is a utility trailer, not a camping trailer. I can dump that trailer. I can take my, I camp out of my truck. I'm very mobile and I don't like to spend daylight hours driving or looking to find elk. I like to find elk and then go hunt them the next day and go. And if I didn't like that area, I will pull out and move my truck at night to the next trailhead and be ready to go the next day. Or bugle at night even and bugle off ridges and fire roads. And I mean, we could do a whole podcast on how to find elk at night. But what did you guys do? How did you set yourself up to be so mobile? Yeah, uh, whoever's listening to this, make sure you go back and write that down what Dan just said. Those are huge nuggets. But mobility wise, we we showed up to this unit that, you know, we were all not all in on necessarily, but we had a, a ton of of nice elk findings in there that we saw online and we had a bunch of plans set up and, you know, we spent the first two days before season there scouting, glassing and whatnot. And kind of the same thing you said, man, like using your truck as the key, like, you know, we were on one side of the unit and we glassed all these elk up on the other side. And we, we got back in the truck and drove over there and we, we made a game plan for opening day. Um, and we spiked in a little ways, not too far. I mean, a mile or two and we set up camp. We didn't want to go too far in, um, still, you know, obviously learning, uh, elk tactics and whatnot, but we, we spiked in and I think we spent three nights in there and then, you know, we, we weren't finding any elk in the area. So we came back to the truck and we headed North into the unit and we, we actually camped at the truck and hiked in about three miles every morning and and looking back i wish we would have just brought camp in there but we we opted to stay at the truck and just um hike in the morning get up early and and we knew where they the elk were you know we spent six or seven days chasing elk and you know we just kept striking out having stocks um so we decided and and we like that seventh or eighth day we didn't find any elk. The elk were super quiet. They weren't showing up in daylight anymore, feeding in meadows. So we, we decided, hey, we got 
you know, four days left, let's, we got to make a decision right now. If we want to move to, to a different unit or are we going to stay here? And we opted to move. So we went to the truck and we drove four hours East and we went to a different unit and we spiked in six miles and we, you know, on a map, it looked great. It, it was glorious. And there was nobody back there. We ran to a couple locals and we showed them where we were going. And, you know, they were like, Oh, that's, that's pretty far. I've always wanted to go back there, but I never have I've never committed to it. And I'm like, well, you know, we're all in that. We don't have very many days left. So we went in and nothing but old sign. And so we, you know, we spent a day or two in there and, and had nothing, didn't turn up a thing, didn't hear anything. So we opted to pull out again and we went back to the truck and moved units again. And by doing that, we, we had probably the best two days of elk hunting we had the whole year. Um, Ian was calling the last two days for me. And I bet he called for two to three hours with like three different bulls, just firing off all night. And it was kind of a public private area. And, and we pretty much had to pull those bulls off of private into the public and it just never worked out. But by being mobile, if we would have just stayed there, who knows where, what would have happened if we would have stayed, but we moved because we had to, you know, and, and we truck camped, we bivy camp, we spiked in, it was a mix of both. And I don't think like there's a necessary, a good right answer on what to do. I think you have to read what the elk are doing. And if it re requires you to hike in three to five miles or what you're capable of doing, don't just do that because you, you want to, if you're not actually capable of doing that, then you might waste your, the rest of your season by, by going in and then being spent because you wasted all your energy. So before that you have to evaluate your, your level of fitness and your capabilities. Right. So, you know, by us truck camping that, that didn't take away my pride on, on, you know, like you don't have to be like, Oh, I, I truck camp, you know, I wasn't a true backcountry hunter. It's not the case. It might work out better to, to truck, truck camp, you know? I am not a backcountry elk hunter, folks. Um, not at all. I, I don't, I'm not in like, it's romanticized to the point where I think people think that's what you have to do to be successful, but you actually might run into more people nowadays than ever before in the backcountry because it is popular because people are showing up more fit and because people think they got to go deeper. There are sweet spots. And here's the, the number one reason why I don't overcommit backcountry elk hunting. Um, it's because your odds go down every time you hunt the same herd day in and day out, especially if they get a sniff of you or if you get, if you know, a cow sees you or you get barked at or whatever your sense in there. I like to get in, make my highest odds play on those elk or sit back from a distance in the wings where I won't interfere and study, observe, and see if I can get them kind of routined out to where I can take advantage and kill one. And so it requires patience, but I certainly would not go into a say five to 10 mile backcountry basin that's got two or three herds in it and camp nearby and then dive in, hunt them all day, hike all over kingdom come and then go back to my spike camp and then go back and hunt them again and again, your odds go down every time. Unless you can find a safe zone where you can kind of watch from afar and know when to attack and know when their guard is down. So for me, I'm over it, man. I prefer to make it back to my truck, to sleep in the back of my truck, and to have all my food at my truck, my packs lighter. 
I'm faster, I'm more mobile. I may not get as much sleep. I may have to hike further, but I feel like I'm into elk every day. And quite honestly, I need to be into elk every day to, to kill elk. I'm just not that good. I'm not that I can't just go take advantage of one opportunity and be a hundred percent. It's all about just new reps every day. And I need elk that talk. If you're in country that you can't glass much and, and they're not talking, it's going to be not as fun, quite honestly. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent, Dan. Okay. Let's finish with this, man. Like, so you came to Wisconsin elk shape camp. That was one of our best camps we did. We had Jason Phelps at your camp and we did a lot of stuff in a short two and a half day span. Um, squeeze all the juice and get me down to like the biggest takeaways for you at camp that helped propel your 2020 season. Yeah. So Wisconsin elk shape camp was in July. Like you said, Phelps, Spinum and lacrosse, Wisconsin archery crew was there. Some of the stuff that I learned, like my biggest takeaways wasn't, you know, they were obviously I had my elk nuggets, my elk tactics, the calling and whatnot, but Really what I took away was like shooting your bow and understanding a shot process and understanding what you're actually capable of doing, you know, and not being a, a backyard warrior and shooting a hundred yards in your backyard. Like that's great. And you're, you know, if you're, you're drilling 10 rings and, you know, cool. But I, I told you that my effective range is I think maybe 50 yards at the time or 40 or something like that. And I quickly realized, like, I'm not effective with a, a elevated heart rate, you know, and that was that was a big thing I took away and, and understanding how important, you know, your first and third axes are and making sure your weapon is absolutely dialed in and that you're dialed in shooting your weapon. Um, some other things I, I really took away was, you know, developing as a hunter, understanding, you know, how important wind and thermals are that that stuff will absolutely ruin your hunt. If you don't know what you're doing um, and obviously the elk hunting and calling tactics, you know, getting set up for different shot scenarios, where to place a caller. If you have a caller, when to call, when not to call kind of that midday madness we talked about. And then of course we did a lot of fitness and that was awesome too. Um, some of the people that I met that I, I really enjoyed was, you know, obviously you guys putting on the, the camp and whatnot and, and getting getting to meet Jason, Jeff, and yourself, but also the the guys at the archery shop are pretty top notch. Uh, they, they knew their stuff, and they did a lot of stuff for the the attendees too. Putting new strings on them, you know, in in like twenty minutes, people were getting new strings on their bows, which was ridiculous. Um, usually, you go to a bow shop and you got to wait months to get strings, but that that was pretty cool. Um, I obviously had my hunting partner that came with. Um, that was nice to kind of go through the camp with him. So we, we both got takeaways and he's not just hearing it from me or I'm not just hearing it from him. And then just, you know, the, the general attendees that we talked to, and I still talk to some of them today, you know, talking about hunts, fitness, um, going over different workouts and stuff like that. And then obviously I'm, I'm still working with Bynum um, a little bit to, to talk financial stuff and being financially fit to elk hunt and, and just to live everyday life. Um, some of the other stuff, you know, let's talk weaknesses. I already kind of spoke about 
shooting at an elevated heart rate and then actually under pressure when you you call some random person up and say all right shoot your bow hit the target and everyone's staring at you and you have your phone in your face that's huge and i remember specifically i went up and i shot my bow i pulled back hammered the trigger and i remember you saying what are you aiming at I'm like i i don't know i'm just i i pulled back my bow you know and i i, I was taught and learned on youtube about you know, dropping your hips back, putting that bow up in the sky and pulling back like a tournament shooter. Right. And quickly I was like, okay, obviously that's, that's not the right way to do things. And then now knowing what I know now, you know, that doesn't happen anymore, but yeah, I, identifying effective range and then kind of exposing my strengths. Like, you know, I, I took, like I said, I took Mark's course. We talked about e-scouting there and um, you know, some folks didn't really know about e-scouting and how to e-scout and reading a map and whatnot and how to get tags and resources, stuff like that. I kind of had already, you know, dove down that rabbit hole. So it was a good review for me. And I also picked up stuff, you know, while, while going over those presentations and whatnot, but that was kind of my recap on elk shape camp. And I would really suggest people going, I mean, you can cut years off of the learning curve by just going for three days. Yeah, so we are going to move the camp next year to um, only four locations. And the reason I did it selfishly is that I tr I did seven camps this year in nine weeks. I've been on airplane after airplane. I just went bear hunting last two days for the first time. Like, I haven't hunted all year. And so it was hard on the family. And so Dirk Durham and I were brainstorming with Bynum and we're like, Dude, we could bring everybody that's ever helped out at camp to one camp and we could take on 50 athletes easily and do more station rotations. So we're going to do four camps next year. And I don't know the locations yet. I haven't inked everything, but what we're looking at is doing uh, Wayne Endicott. He owns the bow rack. That's where Cam Haynes goes. He reached out. He's got a farm. He wants to do a super camp. And then we have... Um, Obviously, like I said, Wisconsin at Vortex Edge and then Lan Lancaster Archery in Pennsylvania wants us to come back. And then that fourth location is probably going to be in Texas. Uh, and I th it's between Corbin's Archery and um, Numa's Numa Outdoors headquarters. And I'm leaning towards Numa just because they have a ranch. And I'm not supposed to talk about this stuff yet, but they have a ranch, like a high fence ranch where we could potentially give away like an actual two-day pig turkey hunt with the elk shape crew before the camp starts and they have cabins for everyone to stay at and a chef like they have a pretty dope setup so it's going to be a little more fancy than what you experienced per se but at the end of the day we're still going to teach everything that you just talked about like we're going to expose what your true effective range is at the time of camp and we're going to show you like how to blueprint a shot process with a high heart rate, with your bino harness and backpack boots on at elevation with an animal that doesn't want to die. Uh, it's important to practice that. We're going to blueprint that fiscal fitness stuff, man. Like you working with Bynum is so important to me that people understand that this lifestyle is not cheap. And it's not – that doesn't mean you have to have money to be an elk killer. But you have to plan for it, and you have to tip the scales. Now, you got a girlfriend. Are you guys engaged? No, not yet. Okay, okay. But you've had this girlfriend for a while. Yep, yeah. We've been together almost five years now. Yeah. So basically, at the end of the day, she's your partner in crime. And Correct. 
how fair would it be that you don't do anything that she's interested in? Like you give very little shits about what she's into, but you expect her to reciprocate by saying, I'm going elk hunting. I'm, I'm trading shifts. I'm gone for, for 21 days. I'm going elk hunting. And for her to be cool with that, that's, that's a recipe for divorce and you guys ain't even married yet. So we talk a lot about how to like, I have little kids, man. I have a wife that doesn't hunt, doesn't care about hunting. She knows that I care about it. So that's her level of interest is that's what you're into. That's what your business is about. Okay. That's cool. But at the end of the day, Alicia just wants me to be home, be present and do stuff with the family. Right. So yeah, absolutely. What is she into? Well, my wife is into HGTV things as in if there's anything that at our house that she can fix up, she's like a damn carpenter. She is into like building things, making things better. And so I have to show interest in her things that she, like I call it her September. And I got to figure out what her September is. And her favorite month of the year is July for obvious reasons. And the weather here in the Northwest, I'm sure it's beautiful in Minnesota. It's her September. And so I don't do like the only event I'm doing in July is I'm doing tack at big sky and I'm not bringing her. I know that I'm not going to bring my wife to tack because I want to shoot as many courses as possible. We're filming the thing for YouTube. We did a giveaway where a couple of YouTube subscribers that we don't even know are coming with us. We bought them their ticket. I mean, it's going to be a cool event and I'm going to be doing some things with black rifle there. Long story short, that's three days out of 31. The rest of July is about tipping the scales and doing whatever she wants to go camping. She's talked about, hey, I want to live at the cabin. We have a cabin in Idaho. I want to live at the cabin all of July and just go swimming, ride dirt bikes, and pick huckleberries. We're going to do that, man. I'm not going to be doing scouting trips out west and going to places I have elk tags. I will have to e-scout. That's part of my new formula. Um, I gave up shed hunting, although I just picked up a giant shed yesterday. It was a road shed. I didn't, I didn't even look for the match. I was bear hunting, but I don't shed hunt anymore. Like I used to, that takes away time. Like, so I have to tip the scales in my wife's, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm sure you do, but give me an example of how you are going to tip the scales in your relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, making time for your family, if you do this stuff and you're not, you know, where you're going out on a weekend and you're home all week, if you're leaving, you know, uh, a long period of time, whether it's 21 days for a, an elk season, or you're going every two weeks, you're going out West to hunt antelope or elk or whatever, white tails, whatever it may be, you're not home. And, and, you know, uh, Callie and I, my, my girlfriend, we we've kind of done the long distance thing with deployments and whatnot. And, you know, I really got a special one. She does a lot around the house when I'm gone. Um, she's totally, she's kind of like your wife, as you're describing, you know, doesn't hunt. Uh, we just bought her a bow this year. So she, she really enjoys shooting her bow and maybe one day she'll, she'll show interest in going hunting. But right now it's, you know, making priorities of when I'm home and when I'm not on shift, spending time together, doing activities, whether it's, you know, going on a walk or, or hanging out with all of our friends or having a bonfire or a barbecue, whatever it may be. Um, I definitely have to make time for that. And I will make time for that. And there, we have a busy schedule this year. 
Um, starting up here within the next couple of weeks, we have a lot of trips planned. We have a lot of weddings. Our, our friends are getting married. Um, both her and I are in a lot of weddings. We have bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, and then rolling straight into hunting season. And then possibly, you know, I'm scheduled for a deployment next year too. So it's definitely going to be a busy year. And I think, like you said, it's, it's so important to have your ducks in a row and making sure you are making time for your family. And I don't have kids. That's a whole nother game. So <laughs> yeah. just making her happy at all times, whatever I have to do is, is my goal, you know, and, and luckily I have um, an understanding one and, and a supportive one. And um, she, you know, like I said, she takes care of most things around here when I'm gone and she knows what to do. And I think it's just, you know, it's, it's being with each other for that long where we've, we've kind of gone through those, those roadblocks in the road and, and, and hurdles and whatnot, and you get over it and, you know, you work as a team. That's what you guys are. You're a team, your, your spouse and yourself are one team and you have to, you know, make sacrifices for her and she has to make sacrifices for me. And, and ultimately it's about meeting in the middle and making each other happy. Right. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's not easy. Like this all sounds good on paper, but it actually requires some sacrifice from both people for it to work. Um, I think it suffice to say that elk hunting is a blessing. I don't know if people understand that. If you take a step back and look at how cool elk hunting is and all the work that involves, that you don't really have time to mess around if you want to experience consistent success. And so your priorities really start to shape up and you can leverage elk hunting to be more present with your family and to be more intentional with your girlfriend and go to these weddings and do these trips and plan, make sure that she doesn't get overlooked because that relationship is more important than elk hunting. Yes, I said that. Same with your faith. Same with your fitness. You can leverage fitness because you, you want to elk hunt for, for decades, but you also want to elk hunt this year and, and not have any physical limitations or mental limitations because of basically lack of discipline. Uh, you can leverage elk hunting so that you have a budget and that you're stashing and squirreling away just enough money to pay for your gas and your tags and that you're not going into debt. And then you can figure out how to pay things down so you have more money to invest. And, and honestly, I want everyone to make money while they elk hunt and get passive income, whether it be through business opportunities or real estate. Like all my whole life is leveraged by elk hunting. And I think that's super powerful. And it, I think yours is too. I mean, you found this thing that you can really sink your teeth into and it motivates you to get your ass up every day and not squander a second in your life. What else do people have besides elk hunting that can do that for them? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, fishing maybe, but it doesn't require a whole lot of fitness. <laughs> You know, that was kind of my thing was I, I really enjoyed fitness, but I, I really dove down the Western, the Western hunting style of elk hunting and mule deer hunting and antelope hunting. And I, I think why it's so attractive to a lot of people, or at least me is, you know, it correlates with a lot of things that I, I hold value to my life. You know, like you said, fitness, you don't, you know, fitness, I don't work out just to elk hunt. Like I've been working out since I was a freshman in high school and that's, like, that's the way of my life. Like I have to get my workouts in, you know, and, and that's how my girlfriend is as well, you know, and that's what something we do a lot together. And yeah, it's just, you know, an all in mentality, like you said. 
That's awesome, man. So tell me, what does 2021 look like for the fall for you at the moment? What are you planning? What tags do you have? And what, I mean, what, how is it shaping up? Yeah. Um, going into 2021 season right now, I'm, I'm just getting completely dialed with, um, my bow setup, making sure everything's good, finishing up with the last minute tinkering stuff, um, build still building arrows and, and whatnot, but, you know, getting, making sure everything's ready to go into the summer, start shooting 3d and whatnot. But right now I only have two tags. I have a North Dakota mule deer tag. And I have an Idaho elk tag. Um, I have two more hunts planned, uh, Wyoming and antelope rifle hunt with a couple buddies of mine from work. And I have a 920 archery antelope tag in Montana that both tags I should draw, but you never know with the applicants this year. So I'm, I'm banking <laughs> on that, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I got going. And then I have a, a late um october early november whitetail hunt in ohio with a friend that i went to basic training with um i'm gonna drive down there and meet up with him and do some whitetail hunting there for five days or so and and yeah i mean poking around here in minnesota and wisconsin if i don't draw any tags any more tags out there i'm i'm pretty much gonna focus on whitetails if nothing presents opportunity mm, man that's a lot of good hunting uh, one of the things I, if I post anything to social media platforms, YouTube, Instagram about arrows, uh, it's guaranteed to get a lot of, lot of likes, views, comments, and direct messages. And I still don't know why arrows are so, uh, what's the right word? I would say it's, there's a lot of narratives floating around on arrows for elk and stuff. And I'm just curious to know what is your final arrow selection for elk this year? As much information as you can. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you the whole lowdown. So uh, my off season last year was all in on, you know, e-scouting all that. I dude, I bet I scouted 20 to 25 different units in Montana, just hopping all over. My life was on a computer, right? So now this year, my elk hunt, I drew Idaho and I'm limited to two units and, I've dove into that completely and I, I kind of got my plans and I just need to finalize with my hunting partner and whatnot. So I've had a little bit more time to, to do some actual bow tinkering and I've always kind of wanted to dive down the rabbit hole, but I was, you know, at, at first, when I first started, I was super nervous on touching anything. I don't want to mess anything up because it's, it's hitting where I want to, and I don't want to touch my arrows. And, and, and another thing, I didn't have the knowledge on it either. Right. So by you putting out these YouTube videos too, it helps. I think a lot of people, especially fletching arrows, if somebody can learn how to fletch their own arrows or wrap, I mean, that's, that's gold because, you know, you're shooting in your yard and you know, you, you hit your fletching off or you shoot your fletching off or you, you put an arrow through your target and your fletching's ripped. Well, now you either got to go pay somebody to fletch them for you and hope that they can do it within a week. Or if you're, you know, like you have, three arrows left and you're leaving next week to go to, you know, wherever Idaho or Montana or Wyoming, wherever you're going and you expect the shop to fletch these arrows and they're, they're swamped because people wait last minute. Right. Yeah. So, so what I did is this year, I, I dove down the rabbit hole of everybody wants a heavy arrow with elk and, and a heavy bow and, and whatnot. And then, you know, the, the moderate arrows. So, okay. You know, maybe the 450 range, 430 range, or 
you know, I, I feel like most people are within that mid four hundreds or they're, they're crazy up into the fives. Right. So I, I actually made like four different arrow setups. I went with about a five ten setup, um, the victory rip TKOs. And I, I weighed those about, it was about five ten mostly. And then I, I bought the victory VAP TKOs, just a micro diameter arrow. And I toyed with my Eastern axis as I shot last year, which were 480 ish. And I just, just really threw on different veins and, and different configurations and whatnot. And I, I went in the, the backyard and shot broadheads. I shot wind um, through paper, all that stuff. And I kind of found my sweet spot was that 460 range. And I, I really like that setup. It, I, I don't have a whole lot of nosedive. I have good FOC on most of my arrows, but that that Victory VAP TKO arrow, I, I'm really digging. Um, I'm still testing a couple broadheads right now. I'm really leaning towards the Grim Reapers. Um, you gave me one last year at Elk Shape Camp, and I shot it a couple times, but my bow was so out of tune. I don't know what. It just kept coming out of tune, and that's a whole different story. But I, anyways, I, I bought a new bow this year and everything, I haven't had to touch any rest or, or tuning anything. Everything's hitting great. And I'm, I'm really, I think I'm going to go with Grim Reapers, for sure Grim Reapers on whitetails this year, but I'm testing either a day six broadhead or an iron will kind of that, that flat head there to see if, if I notice any difference in the flight. But I'm, like I said, dude, I'm really digging those micro Hades. They're flying straight. They're hitting exactly right. And that arrow setup I'm with now, it's just, it, everything's hitting great. The bow's shooting great. And I'm, I'm really happy with how it turned out. And I ended up going with a three fletch. Um, I, I, I've heard different opinions on how you should fletch your arrow, whether it's a right helical, a left helical, no helical. Um, I did the, the old, the method of taking a bear shaft and shooting at a target and seeing which way that, that arrow naturally wants to fly. And, and typically Matthew shoot left and that's what I'm shooting now. And um, so I went with a left helical and the three flies better with the, than the four out of my arrow setup now. I'm not saying that that's the way to go, but that's the way that works for me. And I think that's the most important thing is to find out what shoots the best out of your bow with the form you have and what you can be accurate with, with that arrow setup. Mm, I love it. So the rip TKO coming in at 460. What's your draw length? That, so I'm shooting the VAPS. Oh, you are shooting the VAPS. Okay. So four millimeter inside diameter 0.166 or whatever what's your uh what's the grain per inch on those vaps i think it's 8.3 or 8.9 i forget which one i just looked the other day okay so that's going to give you quite a bit of front of center what did you put on did you use the victory's half cert out cert what'd you use yep i used the victory um 95 with 100 grain field or 100 grain broadhead or field tip whatever you you know, want to call it, but yeah, I'm sitting about 15% FOC. I have a three fletch. I'm using the tack veins. I've, I've toyed with, um, the AAEs. I, I even went back to blazers for a little bit and, and really all of them flew good, Dan. Like I, I didn't really notice a huge difference other than a little bit of noise. And then when the wind was really kicking those higher profile veins kind of 
went left or right, depending on the wind. But those, I, I really like the tacks. They, they fly real good. They're durable. Um, I don't think they're, you know, way ahead of any other vein. I think you just have to, like I said, figure out what works for you and, and test your stuff. And, and for me, the tacks are flying the best with the broadheads I've been shooting. And, and that's what I'm going with. Now it, it might change next year, who knows, but right now I, I really like the tacks and, and how they're performing and whatnot. So I tried a four fletch configuration. I was getting some contact on my rest and I dropped down to a three and, and they fly great. And, th and that was only out of a tack vein, other veins with a four fletch configuration they shot fine. I had no contact. So right now on your four fletch, did you do just a 90 90 or did you do something yep. funky? Okay. And then on the three, the three vein configuration, you, you did go helical left or did you just do off, like an offset of three degrees? Like, what did you do? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't do a full true helical like you use. I, I just did like a two degree left helical. Nice. Nice. What jig did you use? Uh, that was a, so I use right now a bits and burger and that was a huge thing. When I, when I dove down this rabbit hole, I was like, you know, what, what jig should I use? All are kind of intimidating. You hear different stories about some failing and not working and some are cheap and some are a waste of money and whatnot. So I just bought a bits. Uh, I went into a local shop that we have here in town and he runs all bitses and he kind of showed me how, how they work. And actually my hunting partner, Ian kind of, he bought a saw, man, he's building arrows like crazy. And he, I went over to his house and we talked some, some scouting stuff and whatnot. And we built a couple arrows and that's kind of how I got my, my feet wet with those. And then I, I just ordered a jig and, and kind of just jumped right into it and built some arrows. And, you know, the first, you know, 10 or 15, you mess up and you learn and you figure <laughs> out what works, right? Yes. You know, the, the whole vein thing and, and, and arrows and all this stuff, I love talking to somebody like you who's just decided to fletch arrows themselves because it is, it's cool to tinker, man. ABT, always be tinkering. I've been fletching veins forever, having arrows. I, I just slowly over time made my own pro shop. And it wasn't too long ago where I didn't even know how to tune a bow. Not too long ago. And I'm still learning like cam orientation still throws me a little bit of a curveball. But all in all, like I just set my wife's new uh, Matthews Prima up top to bottom. The thing's spitting fire. Uh, but when it, when it comes to fletching your veins, if you are going to go helical, you got to get the jig called the Arizona Easy Fletch. True helical. I actually sell it on my website. I bet I've sold, no joke, 60 jigs in the last 30 days. Um, people have been seeing on YouTube, see what I, you know, it's not that hard. You can do three veins at once, which is awesome. Or if you ripped a vein, cause when you do helical, if you shoot tight groups ever, you can put arrows through, I mean, it's a lot, it's easier to put an arrow through helical veins than it is like normal veins. It's just, it, it's just part of the territory. So you can repair one vein super easy with that jig but you can do one arrow in one shot so i can batch up a dozen arrows in like 20 minutes and that's the that to me that's a huge time saver now as far as helicals right or left clocking is what it's called when you shoot a bear shaft out of your bow and you mark it with a silver sharpie and you see which way the arrow naturally spins and sometimes you'll get like 10 out of 12 arrows will spit left. So you'll clock, le you know, you're clocked left. Basically it's not always 
all the arrows go left, but majority spit left, and then you do a offset or helical to the left. That's kind of the premise of that. Just so people know, you could go right. Absolutely. I shoot Matthews. Almost all my arrows spit left, but I have, um, I'm tinkering right now with the single bevel broadhead from Iron Will. And it's, if you're going to use a single bevel, the way that they beveled that edge, you have to helical right or offset right. Just the way that that thing's going to turn once it goes through an animal. And that's not a big deal. It's not a big deal at all to do my helical to the right. So I have both jigs, one that goes left, one that goes right. But I do like a helical for fixed broadheads flight. I haven't seen parachuting out of a really good tune bow. And parachuting's where that arrow shoot like a shoot a longer shot and you can see it kind of almost zigzag a little bit and they call that parachuting. I've not seen that at all really with all my stuff. Now the broadhead that you're talking about, that Grim Reaper Micro Hades 3 blade. This is so cool for me, Jeremy. I, I told Grim Reaper, oh, January 1st, my contract ended with them. And I said, hey, I love you guys, but I want to cheat on you. I want to be able to tinker with other broadheads. I can't be exclusive. I don't want to break up, but I don't want to have a contract. And they were like, that's cool. So on my desk right now, I have Annihilator XL. I have the uh, Iron the iron wheel single bevel and I'm going to be tinkering with those as well. But I'm right now I'm bear hunting with a grim reaper and we just bear hunted two days, me and my producer, Tim, and we were at my cabin and every day I'd wake up, get ready. And I'd say, all right, I'm going to go out and cold bore a shot. And I cold bored three days in a, uh, I'm sorry, three mornings, two days. I cold bored at one fifteen which I'll never shoot at a bear at 115 yards, but I just wanted to like, it looks good on video and it gives me confidence that I can kill anything. You know, I like to shoot bears 40 and under 115 yards with that micro Hades three blade with, um, an axis 462 is the total weight dude hitting, hitting the smallest bullseye at 115 yards. And I'm not that good of an archer, by the way, I'm not like, I'm, I'm not pro at all. But my point is those things fly unbelievably better than anything I've ever shot, period. And I think as far as blood trails go, watch some of the bulls I killed last year and look at the blood trails. Insane. So I think you picked a winner. Shout out to Grim Reaper, man. Like they're made in America. They have the regular Haiti size, which is a bigger cutting diameter, but it's also more metal up front. I like that smaller diameter inch and, you know, inch 16th flies really well. Don't buy the four blade, get the three blade, throw a helical or an offset and just go test, go tinker. Um, that's the way to do it, man. I love that you're tinkering. I love that you're geeking out on all this stuff, man. Like, would you hurry up and move over to quarter lane? When's that going to happen? Ah, I don't know, man. I'll be out there in a couple of weeks here. I'm, I'm going to, it's really the only time we had on our schedule to go out and see my family. So we'll be there kind of the end of May going into Memorial weekend. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it would be awesome. I had a, a good buddy of mine come out a couple of years ago with me. He brought his wife out. He saw our pictures online and said, well, where's, where's this awesome place, you know, with mountains and lakes. And I said, Oh, it's up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And he, uh, he brought his wife out with us and we showed him around some of the touristy spots and, 
next thing you know, six months later, he's a, he's a deputy out there working for uh, Kootenai County. So shout out to him and he's really enjoying life out there. So it's definitely a special place, man. You're blessed. Yeah. I, I feel that. Um, well, speaking of shout outs, I want to give your hunting partner, Ian, a shout out. If you listen to this, love that guy. I remember him. Great dude. Love his vibe. And I hope you guys get to hunt again. Um, where can people follow you? Watch your journey from social media standpoint. Yeah, I have pretty much, I use Instagram mostly. Uh, I have a Facebook, but just kind of browse it. But Instagram, Jeremy Ryan, seven, uh, one word. And that's kind of where I post stuff, post a lot about working out, some bow stuff and whatnot, but I, I don't really post a ton about of uh, shooting bows and whatnot. I don't think my followers really care that much, but uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. And that's where you can follow my journey if you, you'd like to. So, well, I, I enjoyed catching up with you, man. I feel like this is a really fun listen for folks to, to get some good nuggets. We covered some good stuff and hit me up when you're in town. I'm pretty sure I'm bear hunting that week, but if I'm done, would love to have you guys come over, check out the cabin. Yeah, for sure, man. We will stay in touch and Thanks for having me on. It was a good, good podcast. And I hope some people get some, some good nuggets out of here. I know there's a lot of good stuff said, so it was fun. And I, I hope to reconnect soon. Okay. Well, don't hang up. Cause we're going to figure out where you're hunting next year or this year and where I'm hunting. We'll see if we're hunting the same unit guys. Separation is in the preparation. This podcast totally exemplified that. So I hope you got some good nuggets. Appreciate your support. You have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for picking this one and we'll catch you on the next one. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Takeaways. Elk hunting is hard. Elk hunting is work. Are you sure you want to sign up for this? If so, separation is in the preparation from e-scouting, doping your weapon, your fitness, your mindset, learning elk behavior, guys. So get after it. Thank you, Jeremy. Congrats again on the engagement. Wishing you guys the best. Crispy Boots USA. Right now, my favorite boot is the Colorado Number two is the Brickstall. Been testing all spring long. Crispy USA makes the best boots with no break-in. If you're going to buy boots, go to blackovis.com. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE. It'll take 10% off. And that'll get you 10% off almost everything under the sun there. A couple exclusions apply, but if you're buying arrows or whatever, that's where I buy my stuff. I buy arrows from there when they're in stock because, man, is it tough to find arrows these days. But, yeah, Crispy USA, killing it. Northwest Attention Systems, gun holster, chest holster, under the binos. When hunting in bear country or for bears like me in the last month, I use a Glock 40 in black bear country. I use a 44 mag. I have two different chest holsters from Northwest Retention Systems. Check them out. Go to the website. If you buy one, um, they do have an elk shape one, but you can buy any one. I rock the scout into the discount code elk shape. It'll take 10% off. No shipping and handling. Five-day turnaround. TheElkCollective.com is the number one digital elk hunting resource. Video, audio, driven only. Multiple subject matter experts. If you have elk hunting questions, there are answers there on tactics and from so many different badass elk hunters. Use the discount code Elkshape Podcast. That'll take $25 off and you can pay for an annual or go month to month. It doesn't matter, but get to learning. Buck Knives out of Post Falls, Idaho, HQ. The legendary knife maker, I've finally partnered with them. It took me a while, 
I'm not going to lie. I've been trying to partner with them forever just because they're close by and their name, their brand, it speaks for itself. Uh, if you don't have a buck 110, you need one. Everybody needs one. And then, I mean, my dad had a buck 110 when I was growing up. I always eyed it, got to use it a little bit. Now I have my own. I hope to get my son one day. But they have a whole line of hunting knives. Check them out. Just skinned my bear with a buck knife. And, uh, dude, great experience. They have a whole lineup of hunting knives that you can use to break down your animals and get that meat back, as well as, you know, everyday carry knives. They got a new one dropping in August. Be on the lookout for that. I'm just super stoked to be partnered with Buck Knives. I've had CJ Buck on the podcast before. I've done a YouTube tour of their HQ factory and how knives are made. Awesome company. Great people. Definitely support them. Last but not least, Spy Point. It is trail cam season. It is time, if you live out west especially, to get those cameras out. Find your pinch points. Find your wallows. Find your bedrooms. Get inventory. Understand where those cows are hanging out late summer because that's going to be close to the rutting grounds. I like Spy Point because they all have cell phone trail camera lineup that's awesome and that's what I'm using. But they also have a link system where you can link your trail camera that's not a Spy Point and you can make it a cell phone trail camera. They have a great app. And I finally figured out that Spy Point is going to be my go-to camera out of all my cameras I've tried. Bushnells and Moultries and Wild Game Innovations and Stealth Cams. And they're all okay. But I'm here to tell you that Spy Point's at the top and their prices are legit. And uh, if you get trail cameras stolen, it sucks. I've had quite a few, like maybe 20 stolen throughout the last 20 years. Yeah, it sucks. So get a lockbox. Put it up high, point it down. I bring steps with me. I actually climb trees when I put trail cameras out just because you got to keep those honest thieves honest. All right, guys, that's a podcast next week. Oh, my gosh. We're bringing on Brandon McDonald. He's coming back, and we're really getting to know his story. Uh, this guy's also got a great background in real estate, and he's he knows how to make passive income. So we talk everything archery, finances, real estate, and Brandon McDonald's backstory. That'll be next Monday. We'll catch you then. Remember, separation is in the preparation.